It's November 1923 in Kentucky. Democrat William Fields has just defeated the Republican nominee Charles Dawson in the race for governor of Kentucky. The United States, of course, is now directly involved in World War I. The Ku Klux Klan is meeting regularly in just about every town in the state. Sometimes these meetings are held in churches. Federal agents across the state are attempting to crack down on illegal alcohol sales. You can buy a nine-room brick home near Cherokee Park in the Highlands in Louisville for $13,000. Louisville is segregated, made very apparent by the separate employment and housing ads in the papers. And two of the most dangerous things you could do are work any kind of factory job or be anywhere near an automobile or a train. The trend in women's fashion this fall is fur-trimmed coats, maybe wolf, beaver, or squirrel fur, and embroidered felt hats. Welcome to episode 135, A Century Ago in Kentucky, November 1923. We'll start with a section on prohibition, and first I'd like to read you a letter to the editor of the Courier-Journal, and the title is wants his beer. I notice in your point of view column, you state you will print articles in this column even if they were not consistent with your views. I wish to take advantage of your liberal offer and say a few words on prohibition. In my opinion, the majority of our citizens recognize the fact that conditions have been made worse instead of being improved by it. It's true that the use of alcoholic stimulants was abused by a comparatively few persons who were injured by their misconduct, but it's also true that many persons have suffered by this unpopular law. For instance, in my case, I firmly believe that this phase of my life has been shortened by depriving me of the old-fashioned beer which I've been drinking for at least 75 years, and I've never been intoxicated, and I'm unable to find a substitute that answers that purpose at any price. Now, I suggest that since we find that we have made a mistake to create such a law, and it's obvious that serious complications may arise, will it not be honorable and desirable to admit we made a mistake and try to restore conditions to the normal and punish those that make a nuisance of themselves instead of punishing the many law-abiding citizens by depriving them of a necessary article of food or medicine with this unpopular drastic law? I was born in Louisville in 1841 and am 100% Kentuckian, and all I ask is give me the old beer at a reasonable price. However, alcohol is absolutely necessary in making medical tinctures and very useful in many diseases. A.C. Schumann, M.D., Louisville. Poisoned whiskey is seen in death. Mechanic fell downstairs in stupor, is belief. Funeral services for John L. Lambert, 31 years old, who died early yesterday as a result of a fall down a flight of stairs while he was, it is believed, in a stupefied condition, will be held at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning at Nereth's Chapel. Burial will be in Cave Hill Cemetery. Coroner Roy L. Carter found that Lambert's skull had been fractured presumably by the fall, and Dr. Donald K. Clark, who also examined the body, said there were evidences that the victim had been poisoned by a drug. Lambert had been drinking whiskey. 
The police, who are investigating, believe he may have obtained whiskey which had the drug in it. Mrs. Maddie Hess, the victim's mother, said she was awakened late Wednesday night when her son fell down the steps leading to their second-floor apartment at 838 West Market Street. He'd gone out earlier with a friend whom she did not know. Lambert was an automobile mechanic. This next one is a great example of how confusing prohibition laws were. It says, Judge puzzled at bottle of whiskey. Judge William Krieger of the 4th Division Common Pleas Court has in his possession a bit of evidence introduced during a civil proceeding, which gives him much concern. It consists of a flask, alleged to contain red liquor, and Judge Krieger is puzzled what disposition to make of it, which under the law it is illegal to possess or dispose of in any manner. For the present, it's locked up in the safe of the judge's chambers until Judge Krieger decides what to do with it. The flask of whiskey was introduced during the trial of a damage action of William Wilson against George C. Vickers for $1,210 damages to an automobile. It was alleged that Vickers, on December 17th last, collided with Wilson on the 18th Street Road. Wilson claimed that Vickers was intoxicated at the time and that a bottle of whiskey was found near his car on the road. I love this one. It has a spicy ending. It says, Four nabbed in garden raid. Patrons in panic as dry men enter Edgewater Resort. Scores of patrons at Edgewater Garden, Upper River Road, were thrown into a panic at 11 o'clock last night when federal officers and county patrolmen headed by William Bell Jr., Deputy United States Marshal, staged a raid. Liquor was poured on the floor, bottles broken against table legs, and men and women rushed for the doors, officers said. Two men and two young women were arrested and will be held for federal authorities. They gave their names as Raymond Schumann, 25 years old, George Love, 25, Miss Ruth Walker, 22, and Miss Margaret Lee, 24. As the officers arrived, an alarm was given. All persons escaped but the four arrested. Following Miss Lee's arrest, she asked permission to wash her hands. Going through the door, she fled and was captured half a mile from the place. Cincinnati judge wants ban on Jamaica ginger, says most police court regulars use it as beverage. An appeal to J.E. Russell, federal prohibition director for Ohio, to attempt to have the federal government declare Jamaica ginger an intoxicating beverage, was made today by municipal judge W. Meredith Yateman. In his letter, Judge Yateman says he's discovered that Jamaica ginger is used by most of the police characters, inebriate beggars, and loiterers as a beverage. Several days ago, Judge Yateman, prosecuting attorney Chauncey Reichel, and Colonel A.L. Stevens, general counsel for Mr. Russell, held a conference on the sale of Jamaica ginger. They found the courts are powerless to prevent the sale of ginger by pool rooms, groceries, and soft drink stands. It's been placed in the class of non-beverages by the laws. Of course, I included this one because if you listen to the last episode I did on Walter Campbell, 
This is an issue he is still dealing with seven years after this article came out. Next, I have a brief section on politics this month, and of course, it was an election year, and there were a lot of headlines about what was going on in politics, but still so much of it was geared towards women participating in the elections because the 19th Amendment was still so new. And so you see a lot of articles like this one that says, women are shown how to ballot. A school for teaching use of the ballot in the election November 6th has been started by the Louisville League of Women Voters at 451 South 4th Street. It'll be open today and tomorrow from 9 o'clock in the morning until 9 o'clock at night and from 2 to 3 o'clock Monday afternoon. Or this one that reads, Women Hold Key. The hope of the nation toward international peace lies in the help of the women, Judge Robert W. Bingham said in an address on international relations before members of the Highland Mothers Club at a meeting yesterday afternoon at the home of Mrs. Alfred Strzok in Castlewood. Woman elected police judge of Paris, Kentucky. Mrs. Annie Bell Sutherland tonight was elected police judge of Paris by the Board of Counsel. She is the first woman ever elected to that office in Kentucky. Mrs. Sutherland, who will fill out the unexpired term of Wade Hampton Whitley, who resigned three weeks ago, was elected by a vote of four to three, defeating Claude M. Thomas, attorney, former representative in the Kentucky General Assembly, and United States Consul at Marseille, France, under President Cleveland. New ballot is cause of rose. 34 are arrested as workers try to instruct puzzled voters. The non-emblem ballot used in the municipal ticket yesterday furnished cause of trouble at the polls and resulted in 34 arrests and a number of ludicrous incidents. The trouble resulted in Republican and Democratic election officers being placed in jail. A number of constables who made these arrests were also placed in jail. The Board of Public Safety was in continuous session from 6 o'clock in the morning and during the forenoon inspected 19 precincts. It later issued a report to Mayor Houston Quinn in which it laid the minor disorders to Democrats who issued warrants for the Republican workers. The non-emblem ballot started difficulties as soon as the polls opened in the morning. Democrats reported to their headquarters that Republican officers were marking this ballot to facilitate voting by illiterate Negroes and others. In some voting places, the workers were charged with entering the booths with the voters. Why Mothers No Longer Fear Childbirth An eminent physician has shown why there is so much suffering on the part of many expectant mothers for months before baby comes, as well as when baby actually arrives. This same great doctor found the way to avoid much of this suffering. Mother, your baby's nerves, its whole structure should be free from any influence caused by your months of useless misery and pain. You yourself can be free from much of it. 
Here is a little message to all expectant mothers. Mrs. Ida Milton, 108 North Tremont Street, Kansas, Illinois says, I'm forced to say something in regard to your wonderful mother's friend. Just one application gave me such relief I could hardly realize I was in pregnancy. Before I used it, I was suffering with pains all over, and today I'm able to do my housework with all ease and without pain. Mother's Friend is applied externally and enables the muscles, nerves, and tissues to relax and readjust themselves with the growing changes during pregnancy and at childbirth. It should be used for some time before baby comes. The sooner, the better. Mother's Friend contains no narcotics or harmful drugs. It's safe. For three generations, Mother's Friend has relieved expectant mothers of much useless suffering. Mother, you must avoid mere greases and useless substitutes. Begin using Mother's Friend today. It's sold at drugstores everywhere. I'm calling this next section Family and Relationships, and the first story is a doozy, so take a deep breath. I'm going to try to get through it without my voice quivering here. The first part reads, Man weds fiancé on her deathbed when his gift of blood is in vain. Mrs. Margaret Roeder and W.A. Ulmer, Principles and Drama at Norton Infirmary. A marriage preceded by an operation in which the bridegroom gave part of his blood to keep his fiancé alive took place at 10.30 o'clock at Norton Memorial Infirmary last night when Mrs. Margaret Roeder, who's believed to be dying, became Mrs. William A. Ulmer, wife of William A. Ulmer, a postal clerk, 2719 Courtney Avenue. Mrs. Ulmer, who lives at 651 South 2nd Street, and Mr. Ulmer had been engaged to be married. A few days ago, a slight operation was performed on her. Blood poisoning developed, and last night her condition became critical. Ulmer was summoned to the hospital, and a transfusion followed in which Ulmer gave two pints of his blood to save his fiancée. Fred O. Knutzel, county clerk, was called and issued a marriage license, which was delivered by Fred Coop, license clerk. While Mrs. Ulmer was still unconscious and sinking, Magistrate Harry Levy was summoned. For two hours, the license clerk, the magistrate, and the bridegroom waited at the bedside while doctors and nurses attended the dying bride. At 10.29 o'clock, Mrs. Ulmer opened her eyes. She saw her fiancé. She understood. While Ulmer knelt at the side of the bed, holding the hand of his bride, the ceremony was performed. Two nurses, Mrs. Teresa Rectonis and C. Badger, acted as witnesses. Mrs. Ulmer went to sleep soon after the ceremony, and early this morning, it was said at the hospital that she is expected to live only a few hours. Bride a few hours dies with mate in sleepless vigil at side. Mrs. William A. Ulmer unconscious after nuptial rites at Norton Infirmary. A sleepless vigil from his marriage at 10.30 o'clock Thursday night until the death of his bride at 1.15 o'clock yesterday afternoon at Norton Memorial Infirmary was kept by William A. Ulmer, who sitting at her bedside watched the death of his bride of 13 hours. Mr. Ulmer was married to Mrs. Margaret Roeder at 10.30 o'clock Thursday night in the infirmary after all hope had been given up of her recovery from blood poisoning following a minor operation. 
He'd given a quart of his blood in a vain effort to save her life. She had been unconscious for many hours. The bridegroom refused to leave the bedside of his bride, although knowing all hope was gone. With head bowed and his face buried in his hands, Mr. Ulmer waited through the night hoping that she would recover consciousness to tell him goodbye. He was not disturbed in his death watch. Doctors and nurses left him with his bride in her last hours, only to tap at the door at intervals during the night to ask him if she had become conscious. He will see her for the last time at the funeral services, which will be held at 2.30 o'clock Monday afternoon at Mr. Ulmer's residence, which was said to have been her home. She'll be buried in Cave Hill. kidnapped in 1904 seeks to locate parents, says he remembers home was in Kentucky and near Louisville. Carried off by an unknown man while his mother looked on pleading for his return, Claude Allen, later known as Claude Allen Pendergrast, was taken from his home and has never been able to find his way back. At that time, 19 years ago, he was about five years old, according to the story he told this afternoon at the St. Joseph Hospital, hoping that he would be able to get word to his parents, whom he believes to be still alive. Allen was brought to the hospital October 16th, having been struck on the head and robbed. He was found lying on the tracks of the Southern Railway in an unconscious condition. Some of his memories of boyhood are vivid, but he's unable to recall where he lived, except that it is in Kentucky and a day's journey from Louisville. He remembers that he lived in the country on a farm, which belonged to his father, that his father kept horses on his farm, and that he liked to live there with both his father and his mother. He remembers that his father and mother were young, and upon this belief, he bases the hope they are now alive. Couple who met in jail, married, Owensboro. Mrs. Myrtle Burks, widow, and Roy Mattingly, widower with five children, met in the Davis County Jail a few weeks ago. Mrs. Burks was serving a sentence for alleged violation of the prohibition laws. Mr. Mattingly had been convicted on a charge of driving an automobile while in an intoxicated condition. Today, Mrs. Burks and Mattingly were married at Rockport, Indiana. Kentucky orphan, 16, factory worker, gets $250,000 estate. Berea girl inherits lands of slain father after she's reared in an Oklahoma orphanage. Leona Coyle, 16 years old and pretty with big baby blue eyes and a luring blonde bob, quit her job as a splicer in a tire factory here today to join the ranks of the idle rich. She became heiress to land and oil wells in Oklahoma worth more than $250,000. 15 years ago, her father, Landers T. Coyle, who worked at anything, left their home in Berea, Kentucky and went into the new Klondike of Oklahoma. For $600, he purchased 180 acres of land near Ardmore, and for $200, he purchased 640 acres near Wilson, and then put in his efforts turning this prairie into a farm. 
Because Coyle declined to return to Kentucky, Mrs. Coyle obtained a divorce after waiting a few years, and Coyle promptly married Myrtle Warden, an attractive widow at Ardmore, and continued his agricultural efforts. Leona remained in Kentucky with her mother, where the two of them struggled along trying to make both ends meet. Ten years ago, Coyle was found murdered on his farm. A knife had been stuck in his back. The second Mrs. Coyle's former husband was arrested, tried, and acquitted on the charge of murder, and Coyle's death went along as another of Oklahoma's unsolved mysteries. So just so you guys know, I did the inflation calculator on 250000 That would be over $4.5 million today. We'll talk about crime for a little bit uh, in Kentucky, November 1923, starting with the night after Halloween. And the paper read, train rings in burglar alarm, Halloween prank laid to LNN, car track greased, gates are stolen. A Louisville and Nashville passenger train joined in Halloween last night and caused a patrol load of policemen to rush the Piggly Wiggly store at 4th and A Streets in answer to a false burglar alarm, which the jarring of the train had set off. Streetcar tracks were greased and a number of gates were lifted from their hinges and carried away, according to police reports. No arrests were made in these cases. Malicious false fire alarms were turned in at five different alarm boxes. Police are searching for several boys who are alleged to have turned in an alarm at Brook and Bloom Streets at 5.30 yesterday and repeated at 7.30 o'clock last night. The fire department was called to 6th Street and the Ohio River last night to extinguish a fire in a pile of boxes set ablaze by boys as a prank. Other alarms were turned in at 29th and Montgomery Streets, 6th and Park Avenue, and Fields Avenue. The prank of hurling a shoe through a window at 2334 Greenwood Avenue last night caused the arrest of B. Tanhill, 37 years old, and Oscar Simpson, 18, on charges of drunkenness. William Kelland, 19, and William Hager, 17, were arrested on charges of disorderly conduct when Patrolman C.W. Patelko caught them tearing down a street sign at 28th and Hale. The nearest approach to a tragedy resulting from Halloween parties occurred when Hymanson Warwick, 19, Negro, 622 and a half West Walnut Street, swallowed a small amount of poison because, she told the police, her betrothed had taken another woman to a Halloween party. Jail quarantine again in force. The quarantine, which was abolished in July when the city declined to pay its part of the expense of taking care of persons suffering from venereal diseases, has been reestablished, Dr. Ellis Owen, city health officer, announced yesterday. At the time the quarantine was lifted, it meant that patients were treated in their homes instead of in the Jefferson County Jail. This aroused comment. The police department will be instructed at once to reestablish quarantine treatment in the jail. Traffic policemen mustn't take nips. C.F. Huline, chairman of the Board of Public Safety, yesterday told Fred Beckwith, traffic patrolman, 
that the board will not permit the taking of a nip of liquor in bad weather or for any other reason. The patrolman was accused by superiors of having reported for roll call under the influence of liquor. It was made plain that only smelling his breath and his looks led to the charges. Sergeant Clyde Steepleton and Captain John Lulren said that a traffic post was far too important to permit a policeman who even tastes whiskey to direct traffic. The accused patrolman denied he was drunk and his superiors asked for clemency. On his promise to forego nips and to use coffee or tea when the weather is damp, the patrolman was fined 10 days pay and reinstated. Robbed of clothes, then he's arrested. Patrolman Joseph Pangburn, while making his rounds last night, strolled into the old government locks building at 9th Street and Canal. A man was lying on the floor. He was hatless, coatless, and shoeless. The patrolman shook him, and he awoke. He said he was Carl Leval, 506 East Market Street. Glancing at his bare feet and looking around for his hat and coat, he plunged his hands into his pockets. Great Scott, he exclaimed. I've been robbed. He was arrested on a charge of drunkenness. Glasgow man nabs alleged swindler U.S. agents missed, takes him at pistol point as he tries to cash bogus money order. E.A. Wooden, an employee of the post office here, today arrested George Thomas, trailed over several states by United States postal inspectors, and foiled an attempt to cash a bogus money order for $75. Thomas came to Glasgow today from Elizabethtown with three companions. They cashed one $75 order at a Glasgow bank, and a second bank refused to cash another one. They then went to the post office and attempted to cash a $75 bogus order on an Indiana post office. Wooden had read a warning from postal inspectors against the men and held up Thomas at the point of a pistol as he presented the order. The other three fled. At the sheriff's office, where Wood took, Wooden took his prisoner, Thomas tried to burn the order by throwing it into a stove, but it was rescued undamaged. Postal inspectors say the gang has been working towards Indiana and Kentucky and that a $75 order was cashed yesterday in Elizabethtown. Thomas will be arraigned tomorrow. Two-year fugitive realtor caught. J.T. Dalton, 44 years old, Los Angeles, who has been wanted in Louisville for two years for alleged fraudulent real estate operations, was arrested yesterday afternoon by detectives at the Kenton Hotel. His arrest was the result of an extended investigation by operatives of the Hager Donahue Detective Agency. Dalton is said to have obtained money from a number of persons by posing as head of a real estate firm in search of a partner. After he had collected money from a number of persons, Dalton disappeared from Louisville. He was recognized yesterday by one of his victims, who notified police. He's charged with obtaining money under false pretenses and was placed under a $5,000 bond. Woman, foreman of jury, freeing man. 
Ed Nielsen, indicted with Leo Krebs, former druggist, for operating a still, was dismissed on a liquor charge in the criminal court yesterday by a jury of which Miss Pauline Eckenroth was foreman. She was the first Louisville woman to act in this capacity in a criminal case since women acquired equal rights in jury service. Nielsen was arrested after a fire following an explosion in the home of G.M. Mears, 2316 Cedar Street, April 6th last. Police found the still after the fire. Mears said Krebs and Nielsen owned the still and denied knowledge of its presence. Nielsen denied he operated the still. Krebs was dismissed several weeks ago on a similar charge. Spend a winter month in a summer land. West Indies Cruises, 25-day cruises, leaving New York on the following dates, January 8th, 19th, 22nd, and 23rd, visiting Havana, Jamaica, Port Royal, through Panama Canal, etc. Price, $250. To the Bermudas, leaving New York every Wednesday and Saturday, round-trip prices, $50, $60, $70, and up. United Fruit Company cruises to Havana, Costa Rica, Canal Zone, and Columbia, South America. From New York and New Orleans between January and March, cost from New York, $350 and up. From New Orleans, $250 and up. For complete information regarding these and other winter cruises, call or see the Travel Department, Liberty Insurance Bank. The only thing these next two articles have in common is that they're about aircraft, so I'm calling this the aviation section. The first one reads, Bowman Field on U.S. route is named Station on Model Airways Path. Many Army planes to land here. Bowman Field, Louisville's airplane landing, has been designated a Model Airways route field, which will mean that three or four planes of the Army Air Service will land each week at the field on test flights around the country. A.H. Bowman, air enthusiast, and Lieutenant Raymond R. Brown, in charge of the field, were so notified yesterday by Captain Burdette S. Wright of the Office of the Chief of the Air Service, who flew a plane here from Washington yesterday. The route of model airways has been from Dayton south and east to Washington and Norfolk, thence to New York and to Detroit. Captain Wright, whose home is in Louisville, said the airways have been extended to include St. Louis, and Louisville will be on the eastern flight of the planes. Another leg of the new route will be from St. Louis to San Antonio. The airmen's flights will be to examine the needs for advancement of aviation, testing of planes and air conditions generally, and testing precision instruments. The planes will carry passengers on official Army air business only. The first plane will be sent over the new route November 19th, and will arrive at Louisville about noon, November 21st. The field here will be an important link of the route and will bring here all of the Army's best aviators. Aviator radio phones to wife in hospital, Indianapolis. Lieutenant Harold Harris, commanding officer of the Barling Bomber, largest United States airplane, talked to his wife, who was ill in a local hospital, over a new radio phone device as the bomber circled over the hospital today. 
A radio receiving set had been put up in Mrs. Harris's room at the hospital, and she heard his message. I'm okay, said Lieutenant Harris, speaking through the radio phone. I hope you are getting along all right. Have courage. Golden Treatment is odorless and tasteless. Any lady can give it secretly at home in tea, coffee, or food. You can try it free. Wives, mothers, sisters, it is you that the man who drinks whiskey, wine, or beer to excess must depend upon to save him from a ruined life and a drunkard's grave. Take heed from the thousands of men going to ruin daily through vile bootleggers whiskey and the horrible stuff called homebrew from private stills. Once he gets it in his system, he can't stop, but you can save him. All you have to do is send your name and address, and we will send absolutely free, in plain wrapper, a trial package of golden treatment. You will be thankful as long as you live that you did it. Address Dr. J.W. Haynes, 149 Glen Building, Cincinnati, Ohio. Last but not least, the accidents and obituaries section. Just as a reminder that the 1920s were an incredibly dangerous time to just exist. We'll start with this one. Farmer is dead from gas burns. Burns received Monday by William D. Gagel, 68 years old, a farmer of St. Andrews Hill, Pleasure Ridge, caused his death at 2.20 o'clock yesterday afternoon. Mr. Gagel spilled gasoline on his clothes while draining the carburetor of his automobile and then stumbled over a lighted lantern, igniting his clothes. Besides his widow, Mrs. Nellie K. Gagel, he's survived by four sons, Nicholas, Albert, Ben, and Earl, and a daughter, Miss Anna Mae Gagel. Four drivers cleared in auto killings. Boy, 10, died as a result of own carelessness, jury decides. A coroner's jury yesterday investigating the deaths of four persons who were killed in accidents held that two were unavoidable, one the fault of the victim, while a non-committal verdict was returned in the fourth. In the cases of Mrs. Mary Brumley, 1533 West Madison Street, killed by the automobile of W.L. Riggs, 3728 West Broadway, and of William R. Jewell, 23, 105 East Jacob Streets, killed by an elevator at the Brown Hotel, the jury called the accidents unavoidable. The jury decided that Clarence Richards, 10 years old, 512 South 7th Street, who was killed by a truck of the Louisville Water Company, died as a result of his own carelessness. No blame was fixed by the jury in the death of Edward Kidwell, 14, 1108 Story Avenue, who was killed by the automobile of H.L. Graham, 105 East Kentucky. Tarantula victim better. William Jasper Jr., 18 years old, who was bitten by a tarantula Tuesday afternoon while picking a banana from a stalk in his father's store at Jefferson Town, was pronounced by physicians out of danger yesterday.
safety pin removed from Babe's throat. Bowling Green. Virginia, four-week-old daughter of Mr. and Mrs. James Vance, residing two miles south of Smith's Grove, this county, was operated upon last night at the Lucy Owen Hospital, Smith's Grove, for removal of a safety pin from her throat. The girl was in her mother's lap when the pin, which was open, dropped into her mouth, lodging in her throat. She was rushed to the hospital where an x-ray was made. The child is expected to recover. Christians, Baptists, and Mix-Up at River, Jackson, Kentucky. Baptist and Christian revival converts today assembled on the banks of Kentucky River, the baptismal services of each by coincidence having been announced for the same hour. Forty men, women, and children attired for baptism presented themselves. Each audience sang a hymn and offered a prayer, and the new converts pressed forward. The Reverend Albert Hale, Christian pastor, accepting the first to enter the water, cautiously moved to the middle of the rising stream and buried Mrs. Polly Sims beneath the water, much to his bewilderment to discover that he had baptized one of the Baptist flock by mistake, whereupon Mrs. Sims laughingly accepted the situation and taking the hand of the Reverend Merritt James, Baptist pastor, was again baptized in keeping with the strict creed of the church. Woman dies after dentist pulls teeth. Pikeville, Kentucky. Mrs. Lucy Hoskins, Nelsonville, Ohio, died at the office of Dr. Walters here today, a short time after she had two teeth extracted at the dental office of Dr. G.H. Hughes. Mrs. Hoskins had come to Pikeville for dental work from Wolf Pit, Kentucky, where she had been spending some time as the guest of her daughter, Mrs. Frank Lewis. Dog Saves Master from Death by Fire, Cincinnati. Sport, a pet dog belonging to Julius Geis, foreman of a working crew of the Big Four Railroad, probably saved his master from being burned to death early today. Geis was asleep in a camp car at St. Bernard when he heard the barking of the dog and felt a tug at the covers of his improvised bunk. The side of the car was in flames. The car was destroyed. Good dog sport. That's it for episode 135. I hope you guys enjoyed it. It seems like every time I put out an installment of this Century Ago in Kentucky series, it gets a high listen count. So I, I think you guys like it. I have a good time putting them together. They do take a while, but I think it's worth it. Um, the, the things that aren't headline news are still very much a part of Kentucky history and, and sometimes even more important, I think. So... Um, that being said, storytelling, guys, it's, it's so underrated. Ask the older people in your life to uh, tell you stories, record it, write it down, preserve it. Um, the small things matter. And that being said, I can't believe that this is still going on three years after I started. Um, it's official. I started in November of 20, 
20. I thought it was just going to be a COVID project, but here we are. So as long as you all keep listening, I will keep recording. Thank you so much. If you're listening on the day this comes out, happy Thanksgiving. I'm grateful for all of you. I hope you have a wonderful holiday. Thank you for listening. Until next time.